You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis, a faith community that welcomes, affirms, and protects the light in each human heart, listens deeply to where love is calling us next, and with humility, courage, and compassion, works to create a more just world. To learn more, visit us at firstuniversalistchurch.org. I woke up this morning with my mind And it was stayed on freedom Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah Oh, I woke up this morning with my mind And it was stayed on freedom I woke up this morning with my mind Then it was Stayed on freedom. I woke up this morning with my mind, and it was hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's do that last part, rehearse a little bit. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. One more time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I was walking and talking with my mind, and it was stayed on freedom. I was walking and talking with my mind, and it was stayed on freedom. I was walking and talking with my mind, and it was stayed on freedom. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm on my way to the freedom land. I'm on my way to the freedom land. I'm on my way to the freedom land. Now I'm on my way. We sing together. Great God, I'm on my way. Right. Ooh, the rhythm section is a little paltry. It's just got one member to it so far. Yeah. There are all sorts of ways ways to help keep the beat and the pulse amongst us. Find your own way. Maybe it's this way. What's that? Ah, yes, that's true. There. Okay, here we go. This is the basis from which we start. I'm on my way, I'm on my way to the freedom land. I'm on my way to the freedom land. I'm on my way to the freedom line. I'm on my way, great God, I'm on my way. Y'all, that's just to get us to 10 a.m. Would you rise? The hymns that greet us for this service begin with 298, wake now my senses and hear the earth call, feel the deep power of being in all. Keep with the web of creation your vow, giving, receiving as love shows us how. 298 if you follow. Let's sing together.
that land. Come and go with me to that land. Come and go with me to that land where I'm bound. Come and go with me. Come and go with me to that land. Come and go with me to that land. Come and go with me to that land. Well, come and go with me on a little visual treasure hunt. We are looking for one of the most ancient religious symbols known. What do you see here that might be that? Any guesses? Star of David, I hear that. Keep going. Spiral, exactly. The spiral all over. These beautiful baskets woven by... A uh, member of the congregation, Martha Bird, the spiral. It's one of the oldest known symbols across history, across time, across culture. It is a symbol that represents the endless cycle of birth and death and birth again. This is a symbol that represents that cycle for human life and non-human life, for all life. The twists and turns the way that life rarely unfolds in a straight line for any period of time. But life is always growing, always turning, always impacted by what came just before it, always holding what happened just before, deep in the heart. Now, in many religious traditions, the spiral is actually known as the spiral staircase, ascending up toward heaven and toward God. For us, in our faith tradition, I prefer the image of the golden spiral. Maybe some of you know it as Fibonacci's spiral, right? That ever-repeating, ever-iterating spiral you can find all over nature, all throughout math. Maybe it's in those spiral arms of the galaxies or the intricate patterns in Romanesco, my recent fascination. Maybe it's in the Nautilus shell that ever-unfolding spiral, the symbol of birth and death and rebirth, 
of connection without beginning or end, of turning and growing constantly without the assumption of ascending. Simply being a part of that larger whole of constant turning, constant learning, constant expansion, constant growth. Today and every day, we take a turn in our individual and collective spiritual lives. We take time now, wherever we are gathering from, to remember through song and story, prayer and play, that never-ending connection that holds us in love and life and learning, ever-expanding. Welcome to this community of faith, where we believe in an ever-expanding circle of love, where we believe it is up to us to stretch that circle, to live that spiral, so that our sense of who we are, of the perspectives we can take in, of how we act in the world for justice, is ever expanding. It is so very good to be together. Let's take a moment to settle in, in whatever way feels right for you. Maybe it's an opportunity to feel your feet on the floor, to notice your body, to bring yourself into this connection that happens through our shared intentional breath. The chalice cup with the flame, the symbol of Unitarian Universalists in worship all over the world and across time, greets us now and asks for our help. We need a chalice lighter. This is our tradition, our newest tradition in the summer. So I'm going to ask anyone willing of any age, of any experience, I will be right here with you. Will someone serve as our chalice lighter? Yes, I, I, see, I saw two people's hands go up at the same time. Will the both of you be our chalice lighters? <laughs> Wonderful. Welcome. Beautiful. Thank you, Harriet. Thank you, Matt. As a faith of covenants, we are not bound together by a single set of beliefs but by the agreements we have with one another to love well and to be in closer and closer relationship as the days go on. We do that through covenants. And so I invite you to say the words that we use as a covenant for us, starting with that all very important word, love. Together, let us say, love is the spirit of this church and service is its law. This is our covenant dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. So may it be. Good morning. <laughs> um, so in theater, I'm a teaching artist, um, an ensemble, I tell my young people, ensemble is a fancy word for group. But in theater, what it means is that the play is the star to me that the, the group works together to work toward a common goal. And they really um, 
sort of diminish themselves individually in order to magnify the group in service of the goal. <laughs> That's a lot to say. So we're going to play a game. <laughs> I know it sounded really serious at first, didn't it? I need five volunteers to come up and stand in front of the chancel. And you can just stand and come on up. You don't have to wait to be chosen. And if there are more than five, that's okay. Come on up. Okay, perfect. Yes. And you're welcome to come still, or there'll be another opportunity in a moment. <laughs> so what you're going to do as an ensemble, or as activists even, is you are together going to count to 10, but without counting in order, without anybody signifying that they're about to count. The objective is to kind of mind, meld your minds so that you become one voice. And so you have to get to 10, one number at a time, without anybody speaking at the same time. I'm gonna suggest you all stand in a circle. It's gonna help a little bit. Circles are great. As a group, we're trying to count all the way from one to 10. Right, but only one voice at a time. Only one voice can talk at a time. Mm -hmm. And if two voices or three voices or four talk at the same time, we have to start over. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. Right. See, that's the, that's the rub. In, in order, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, but not like around the circle in order. Okay, thank you for helping to clarify. Are you all ready? Show me a thumbs up. Show each other a thumbs up. Okay, begin. join the circle you you all are welcome to stay or if you are stressed out you can go sit down if you want but we would like a group of 10 people same exercise yeah we need a we're gonna make a bigger circle or it might be an oval or a bean yeah come on we have one. Oh yes here we go are you already look around into the eyes of every person that's in the circle and give each other a thumbs up when you feel ready to begin. Communicating with one another without talking. Oh, well, but those are words. But but this word, that word, that was the words. That's a that's a good way to go. Yeah, maybe. Yes, you may have a seat. What are we learning about what it takes to organize and to achieve a goal as an ensemble or as activists or in community? Breathe, I heard. What else are we learning? Patience. Takes a lot of patience, yeah. Slow down, yeah. One person should not try to do it all. Ooh, that's a lesson for somebody. <laughs> what else? Communicate, yes? Space, uh-huh. Listen, yeah? Keep going. 
Keep starting over until you get there. Yes, thank you. Humor, Humor. yes. And intergenerationalism, like it's gonna take us all to get there, yeah? Thank you. version of that is, we are going, heaven knows where we are going, but we know within, one, two, three, four, and we will get there, heaven knows how we will get there, but we know we will, it will be hard, we know, and the road will be muddy and rough, but we'll get there. Heaven knows how we will get there. But we, woyaya, 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 woyaya. So I invite you to join me in settling even deeper into your body, even more deeply into this moment. I invite you to join me in a cycle of song and silence and meditation. Our thanks we give that this our world is incomplete, that struggle greets our will to live, the will to reach it makes us free. as breath and voice and notes bring us into our bodies. Let us settle into silence and notice the space that's present within us. Notice the energy moving in the width of your body, shoulder to shoulder, side to side. As that awareness settles, Perhaps also becoming aware of the people, of the beings, of the room to your right and your left. That we are not yet fully wise that we are in the making still as friends who share one enterprise and strive to blend with nature's will. Prayer. Prayer is putting in our bodies the yearning of our hearts. What, what do we yearn for? Together, we hope and work to build a world where the earth and every being can flourish into their fullest selves where people of any sexual and gender identity can be as flamboyant or humdrum as their heart desires, where everyone has the freedom to have children, to not have children, and to raise children in peace and safety, 
where people can migrate across shared and respected lands like our ancestors, like the monarch butterfly. Where freedom is not a longed-for ideal, but a flowering park where all may rest and play. In this spirit, congregation, will you pray with me? Spirit of love, sacred mystery that moves within us and among us and beyond us. May we follow the movement of spirit as you ripple out in ever-widening circles, pulling, pushing, prodding us as we get stuck, beckoning us to loosen, to widen, to make room for more, that we might slowly, separately and together, feel separation and know it false. Awaken to the two small stories that lead us toward death, that we might choose another path. Help us to find the courage to take the leaps that our world needs, that we might stumble together into transformation, because let's face it, few of us have the courage to voyage there alone. What though the future long delay, and still with faults we daily cope, it gives us that for which to pray, a field for toil and faith and hope. In this space of prayer and noting, I welcome your giving voice aloud or online in the chat or held in silence in your heart, those you'd hold in the care of our common heart this morning. We hold the community of Minneapolis and surrounding lands resting in official determination that the Minneapolis Police Department has engaged in a pattern or practice of conduct in violation of the U.S. Constitution and federal law. For many, this is a too late determination of a truth long known and experienced, while for others this is a revelation, scales falling from proverbial eyes. May we note together how it feels to have this truth spread more fully, more fully brought into the light of day. And we hold all those who mark and celebrate and make real the liberation at the heart of Juneteenth when federal troops made good on an emancipation order issued two and a half years prior. What if we could all celebrate another's liberation and joy, knowing that none of us are free till all of us are free, feeling in our bones that we all get free together? As we hold all this and so much more in our hearts today, we pray that the grip of addiction be loosened that the weight of oppression be lightened, that truth be told, that joy break through, and that love make every suffering bearable for us all. Since what we choose is what we are, and what we love we yet shall be, the gold may ever shine afar. The will to reach it makes us free. Ashe and Amen.
In just a moment, the ushers will come forward to receive today's offering. Dear ones, each week when we gather for worship, we make space for the spiritual practice of generosity, a time in which we reflect on gratitude and from that place of gratitude, we give as we are able that others might share in our good fortune. This week's offering goes to support the work of First Universalist Church. This has been a hard few weeks for the church, being that we have needed to lay off staff due to budget shortfalls. This morning's offering supports the church and works toward closing an existing gap of $58,000 in the coming fiscal year, which starts on July 1st. If you can make an additional gift Toward that gap, it will help to reduce the burden on the fundraising team in the coming year. If you haven't yet made a commitment to the annual budget, it is never too late to do so. If you are visiting us this morning, if you have already made your gift, if you are otherwise unable to share your financial wealth, I invite you to offer the blessing of your heart as the baskets make their way past you.
In a delightful and elegant way, the music ministries hear Franco most of the time, and our ushers engage in a dance to make sure that the whole circle is included in giving and receiving. We don't always do it 100%, right? Sometimes we, we miss a person or two and we have to go back. But still, the dance is elegant and growing. Thank an usher is my point. Thank a musician sometime for that showing, that message of warmth and inclusion that we get to see without words every single week we gather. Now is a time to deepen our, our space in worship. I invite you to settle. Franco offers us a blessing of music as we prepare for the message for the day. magical way that music connects us without words. Such a great place to start. So when I got here, when I arrived to be with you 11 years ago, I'd been a religious education volunteer for my own kids for several years, but I hadn't done any professional church work before, so I learned a lot on the job from you. Mostly I learned because I had to, because things were not going well, because I did something wrong or you knew what was needed and I didn't and you were kind enough to intervene and let me know. I want to tell you about the year that the ninth grade coming of age program imploded. <laughs> it did. Early in my time here, because a good number of the youth in it didn't want to be there. You see, coming of age is a UU milestone that means a lot to many of our families. So participation is a strong expectation for our ninth graders. But that year, those youth were not going to participate without making their displeasure known. And as a result, 
class was often chaotic. And the worst moment, the icing on the cake, was the ceremony itself at the end of the year. When several of the youth used their turn at the pulpit to share with us all, unscripted, how much they didn't like coming of age, <laughs> or the professional or lay leaders of the church, just the other youth in the class. They were good, but the rest of us, we could go scratch. And that wasn't really what we were hoping for as the pinnacle <laughs> of that year. So we'll come back to them in a moment. But first, let me tell you about Leela. Leela, a biracial eighth grader who'd been part of this congregation since she was a baby, her family was deeply invested in church, and Leela was too. But after I initiated a series of racial justice-focused workshops for our eighth graders, a series that I'd worked really hard on and I was kind of proud of, Leela stepped out of class one Sunday morning and pulled me aside and told me in no uncertain terms that she was not going back in that room because being in that room was breaking her heart. So we'll, leap, we'll loop back to Leela too in a minute, I promise. I could tell you about any number of younger kids who refused to join the circle when they were called to do so, or do the proscribed craft activity, or play the game that I was pretty sure was gonna be a big hit. Kids who instead wanted to read a book, or climb up on the window ledge, or crack a good joke, or hide under a table. In all these cases, we had kids who were not into it, were not engaged, who didn't want to be there. And kids who don't want to be there are really hard to manage. They trip up our plans. They're inconvenient because directly or indirectly, they're usually telling us something important about how the church needs to change. And that's inconvenient. Usually they're pointing us toward places where we're holding on too tight and we need to slow down, loosen our breathing, like in that exercise Amy led us through, pay attention a little bit to what's going on with other people take our own plans and ideas less seriously so we can take our larger goals more seriously. More seriously engage with the goal of widening the circle, which begins with listening for the many ways people communicate, not just in words, but also in tone and behavior, in energy, right, and emotional expression. Because people can be trusted, kids too, at the very least, to know their own experience and their own needs better than we do. And they have something to teach us if we are willing to learn. It's one of Adrienne Marie Brown's principles of emergent strategy. Trust the people, she says. Trust the people. If you trust the people, they will become trustworthy, she promises. Jim Poulter's daughter, Ellen, she taught me what this can look like one day. As a high school student, Ellen signed up to work in the church nursery. And Ellen is a baby whisperer, except for this one little one who was not having it no matter what she did. He just screamed. And oftentimes we'd have to give up and text his people to come back and get him. But Ellen took it as her personal challenge to win this baby over. She was going to do it. She tried every kind of toy and game, song, book, attentively noticing how this little one responded to each thing she offered up. And one morning, I didn't hear screaming from the nursery. 
So I peeked in to see what solution Ellen had finally discovered, and neither she nor the baby were there. <laughs> and the other staff told me that they had left, they were out and about, and I panicked because parents generally expect to find their child where they left them when they come back, <laughs> and I didn't know where they were. So I ran around until I found Alan walking the upstairs RE hallway with a quiet and alert child in her arms. And she sensed my energy because as I rushed over to direct them back to the nursery where they belong, Ellen goes, shh. <laughs> and she made direct eye contact with me. And I got a hold of myself. You see, Ellen had listened to that baby. She had understood that baby's cries as communication. And she wasn't going to let me override that child's needs by pointing to a policy that didn't really need to matter in that moment. Everyone was happier from that Sunday forward. Of course they were. The baby's parents were not upset. In fact, they were thrilled that Ellen had worked so hard and creatively to connect with and calm their child. Of course they were. For me and many other white people, safety is the most common excuse we give for limiting freedom. Of course I believe we have a sacred duty to safeguard our children. But particularly as a white person with power in this system, I learned that I really need to interrogate my motives when claiming that the reason I'm limiting someone's freedom someone's freedom of movement is their safety, is for their own good. So speaking of learning all the ways that I didn't know what I was doing and still don't often, I'm just gonna give a shout out to elementary kids in general. Because elementary age kids will tell you the truth about your plans. <laughs> if they're not good plans, those kids will just do something else right in the middle of your lesson. Or they'll proclaim really loudly like, this is boring. <laughs> or they'll just get up and try to leave the room. It can be tempting to focus on them as the problem. Like, just sit down and do what you're supposed to do right now. And that's what I tried to make happen for the first couple of years that I was here. And then, and then one day I was like, oh, I'm doing it all wrong. I think I've cracked the code. I think the problem is the class structure and the content. And I can fix that. So I tried to write better session plans with more games, and we made this voluntary timeout space where kids could go when they wanted a break. But that didn't work either. I couldn't figure it out, and it was demoralizing. Ultimately, it was a group of mostly parents of disabled and neurodivergent kids who ended up being the ones who had known what was needed all along. What started as a place for them to find support for their families quickly became a space for airing their frustrations about how RE was failing them. They and their children were the ones most negatively impacted by the way we were setting things up for their kids. And they had a lot of painful experiences to share. But the sharing brought us closer and built trust, and ultimately, it built resolve. We moved from mutual support to a shared task, and it was this new religious education accessibility and inclusion team that knew what to do based on their collective experiences. They pointed us all toward building in more flexibility, more connection, less focus on control. Relationship and relaxing our grip 
Those were the missing ingredients, relationship and loosening our grip. Now there's time and space built in for friendship and exploration, rest and active play. There's room for kids to choose where they want to be and what they want to do at church on a Sunday morning, and it's rare that we have behavioral problems, which used to be such a huge part of my job. It turns out it never really needed to be like that. Back to Adrienne Marie Brown. She tells us that we ought to move at the speed of trust, focus on critical connections more than critical mass, build the resilience by building the relationships. Which brings us back to Leela. Now, fortunately for her own sake and for the sake of the other black, indigenous, and people of color in her class, Leela understood what was going on in the eighth grade racial justice workshops. As a biracial youth, she understood things and had experiences that my session plans did not acknowledge, let alone tend to. I was, and her white peers and teachers were too busy with our own unlearning to hold her pain and offer her the spiritual support and resources she deserved from her church. She told me that. It's not okay that she had to be the one to teach me what I had a duty to know. But I did, I learned from Leela. I learned from Leela that I should test out my good ideas by viewing them through multiple lenses, assessing their potential to help or to harm people with identities and experiences different from my own before unleashing them on the congregation because there's so much I don't know. And remembering that is truly a spiritual practice. In Japanese, there's a word for those stacks of books. Those stacks of books we have that we bought or borrowed and that we haven't read yet. <laughs> those are actual ones from my office. Maybe a small portion of the books that I haven't read yet. Those stacks are called sundoku. Statistician Nassim Nicholas Tallinn argues that those unread volumes aren't a sign of failure, thanks good, thank goodness. He doesn't even think our goal should be to read all the books that are around us. Rather, he writes, red books, red books are a far less valuable resource than unread ones. Your library should contain as much of what you do not know as you can afford and fit in your space, he says. You will accumulate more knowledge and more books as you grow older, and the growing number of unread books on the shelves will look at you menacingly. <laughs> Indeed, the more you know, the larger the rows of unread books. The idea is that these shelves of unexplored ideas propel us to continue reading, continue learning, and never be comfortable that we know enough. Jessica Stillman calls this realization that we will never know enough, intellectual humility. So how are these stacks of unread books, these sandoku, connected to church. I believe the practice of intellectual humility is a necessary skill for building beloved community, right? I would say something like spiritual humility is also needed. Each person, each one of us, contains stories and experiences and perspectives and wisdom that most of us can't even imagine. So many people we have yet to come to know, like so many unread books. We should be curious about that. So when Leela said, in effect, you don't know what you don't know, she was absolutely right. 
I needed to repair the damage my not knowing had done, and I needed to practice humility and not waste what she was so generous in bringing to the table. Because Leela was not going to be quiet and go back to class, because she wasn't going to allow things to just be convenient, we identified a missing ministry and convened our first group for BIPOC youth led by BIPOC adults at church that spring. So much gratitude and respect to Leela and the rest of you who made that possible then and continue to do so. Mm -hmm. And thanks too to those ninth graders in coming of age who taught me that growth happens in consensual contact. Contexts, consensual contexts are necessary for growth. This is what they were telling us. These days, our ninth graders have to opt in to be part of coming of age. It's their choice. Their parents and caregivers don't always like that. But we made that change. They have to say, yes, I want to do this. And this model ensures that we adults spend the beginning part of the year laying out the plan, answering challenging questions, making adjustments to accommodate everyone's needs, and working hard to ensure that everyone knows they are welcome and wanted should they choose to participate. Without all those conversations, the youth don't know what will be asked of them in the year ahead, so they can't give informed consent. And the adults in the room don't yet know what specific support and encouragement and information the youth might need in order to show up fully and authentically. But when we spend enough time tending to those things, being in a relationship, almost all of our ninth graders decide to opt in for coming of age. And that means class feels really different. <laughs> and the coming of age ceremony is beautiful and brave, and tender, and deeply reflective, and ultimately communal. Consent is good for everyone. I can't close without talking about one last teacher, one of your current First Universalist board members, Liv Dalby. And I remember when your board member refused to go outside to play on the playground with the other kids at cellist camp. No matter how I tried to get Liv out the door, I couldn't. She did not want to go play. She had picked a job for herself already. She was going to be my assistant. <laughs> and so she followed me around, interviewing me about the plan and the schedule and making helpful suggestions for improvements. She swept the floor unbidden after every messy art project and she made sure snack was prepared, which meant she went into the kitchen without permission, despite the very clear policy of no kids allowed. And now, Liv is a congregational leader. And she's a young adult leader in our denomination too. Liv knew who she was and she knew how she wanted to show up at church. And I'm sure glad she didn't let me make her do what I wanted her to do when she was 10, right? When we catch ourselves wishing other people would just go along with the way that works for us, we locate our growth ed edges. We locate the growth edges of our community. With awareness, we can support others in bringing the gifts they have to bring, rather than conf confining them in ways that squander their potential or just plain drive them away. I've got two name tags on today. There's my first Universalist one, and here's the one that they've sent me for my next job. Hmm. Right? As I move into a new role serving the UUA's Mid-America region, I'm going to remember so many things that you taught me. Our values show up in what we do when we're faced with a dilemma. And my new job is going to be filled with dilemmas. If I understand it correctly, my new job as a congregational life consultant basically is to show up in places where there are dilemmas. 
and to show up as a helpful, humble, trusting, and trustworthy presence. So I'll be drawing on the ministry we've done together here all the time. Because here is where I've experienced what gets in my way of doing that, as well as the best examples of how that can work. Thank you for showing me those. It's hard, really hard, to leave this place and to leave you, my teachers. So as I go, I remind myself and I remind you what we've learned together. Treasure the people that surround you here. Be curious. Be humble. Trust the people. If you listen to one another's stories and wisdom, you'll be changed. And church will be changed, too. The work is urgent, and it cannot be rushed. Move at the speed of trust. Be good to one another. I love you. Thank you. With all that energy, let us rise and sing. The hymn is 299. Make channels for the streams of love where they may broadly run. Our parting blessing is a spiral. Maybe it starts in your heart. Maybe it starts in the center of your hand. This spiral that goes out. It starts by including you, your unique life experience. It stretches out, reaching out to Lauren as it moves, reaching out with love and care, with connection that never goes away, as what comes before in the spiral informs what is next, always present. May this spiral of love and connection, of growth and change, continue out into our congregations all over the Mid-America region to all around the world with a message of hope and love. May it be so. Thanks for listening. If you've been comforted or inspired by this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Podcasts are free to download, but they cost money to make. Visit firstuniversalistchurch.org donate to make your gift. 
We'd love for you to join us in person or online Sunday mornings. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.